This is the worst man-made environmental disaster in Australian history. Uh, at least three or four thousand farmers uh, that I know that dearly love her, and she needs. And she's a key figure now in the ongoing revelations and understanding of how water is being mismanaged in Australia. Hello, I'm Jennifer Macy, and this is How to Make a Whistleblower, a special podcast mini-series by the Australia Institute, where we investigate what happens to the whistleblower after the whistle has blown. In this episode, we'll look at how one whistleblower, supported with a job and a team, has created a body of research that has had real impact. And we'll look at just how Marianne Slattery's research at the Australia Institute has helped uncover exactly how Australia stuffed up a $13 billion public policy. Images of the Darling River choked with thousands of dead fish this summer have shocked the nation. Very graphic when you when you're right in amongst it. Nothing can describe the, the emotions and the feelings you get when you see fish spread like confetti across the river. In January 2019, one million fish died in the Lower Darling River. It catapulted the plight of the Murray-Darling Basin River system to headline news across the country. But how did it get to this? How did it get this bad? I am Mary Ann Slattery, Senior Water Researcher with the Australia Institute. I knew it was only a matter of time before something was going to collapse, and we saw that with the fish kill this year. You just know something has to collapse. There has to be some catalyst that's going to make everyone aware of how broken this system is. Um, And it's still to come in a really big way in the Sutherland system. It's just up here. We'll come back to the fish kill a bit later. But let's wind the clock back two years ago to when Marianne Slattery first arrived at the Australia Institute in her new job as the senior water researcher. Hello. Having just left the Murray-Darling Basin Authority after 12 years. The, the very first um, interview I did at the Australia Institute was you know, day two, and that was with Kerry Brewster on Late Line. Marianne Slattery is speaking publicly for the first time since leaving the Murray-Darling Basin Authority last month. A senior officer of the MDBA for... Um, and it was around my concerns around what was happening in the Bale and Darling now. The Basin Plan is supposed to put more water back into the system. In response to that late-line story, the then New South Wales Minister for Regional Water, Niall Blair, told the ABC... We have water-sharing plans in New South Wales and in the Barwon Darling, 6% of, of water is allocated for productive use. That leaves the rest to be able to be used for environmental flows and environmental use of the river systems. The very first research report Marianne wrote for the Australia Institute challenged the Minister's claims. Yeah, my name's Rod Campbell. I'm the research director at the Australia Institute. The first thing we published together was a paper refuting the New South Wales Water Minister's claim that, oh, I think you know, 95% of the water goes to the environment. Marianne was quite keen to write something on... Uh, the way water allocation rules work. But my tip to her was, let's take the minister's statement and show why the minister is wrong. Partly because he based it on long-term averages, including huge big floods and ignored big droughts. So showing that the minister was wrong was a useful way to hang a lot of quite technical information 
on how water allocation works. This was the first of more than 20 reports that Marianne would produce with the Australia Institute over the next two years. Debugging Watergate. Interpreting Research. Darling River fish kill caused by river mishap. wrongs don't make a right. Dam shame. The new dams politicians won't talk about. The reports exposed that hundreds of millions of taxpayers' dollars was used to buy water that doesn't exist. The tens of millions of dollars of taxpayers' money is going towards building huge dams for private agribusiness. Or explaining the policies that allow massive cotton crops to be watered while downstream towns run out of drinking water. Darling water sharing plan. First steps to fix the Murray-Darling Basin. Part of the problem with the Murray-Darling Basin is that water policy is extremely complex. And that complexity is often used to bamboozle ordinary Australians. So when the minister claims that just 6% of water is reserved for production, how does a farmer or resident even go about challenging that with any confidence or credibility? This is where Marianne comes in. She's got an encyclopedic knowledge of the Murray-Darling Basin's management and administration after 12 years of working on the inside. She knows how to speak and decode water bureaucraties. She knows what the problems are what information to ask for, and where to look for publicly available data and documents. I am Ebony Bennett, Deputy Director at the Australia Institute. Ebony Bennett says that's why Marianne was such a great fit for the Institute. Well, at the Australia Institute, we really pride ourselves on being able to explain complex public policy issues in plain English and make them accessible to as wide an audience as possible. And while we have a strong track record of research on economics and inequality and climate and energy, um, the Murray-Darling Basin was not something we'd really looked at in any depth before Marianne arrived. Built in Australia, according to the Australia Institute, but it's not what you... Marianne Slattery was the director of the Australia Institute's Marianne Slattery, who used to work for the Basin Australia Authority. Institute's Marianne Slattery says millions of taxpayer dollars... Together, Marianne and the Institute have created a body of work that has helped demonstrate the mismanagement and maladministration of the Murray-Darling Basin Plan, well before the fish kill made the headlines. Two years ago, we were talking about doing an explainer video. This is way before any of us knew anything about anything on water. And we kind of said to Marianne, can you just explain what's wrong? And she got out a big map of the Murray-Darling Basin and she pointed at Burke and she said, well, the problem is basically that now the river stops here which just blew our minds. Like, we just had no idea that things were that bad. What Marianne pointed out was that increased extractions in the Northern Basin, along with rule changes in the Barwon-Darling River, actually stops the river from flowing at Burke in New South Wales, which is more than 800 kilometres before it reaches the Murray River. Australia's longest and biggest river system that spans four states had been reduced to a trickle in some parts of the country. Because you could just see that with rule changes and the impacts of what was happening upstream of the tributaries into the into the Bowen Darling, that it was just at breaking point. There was something that was going to break in that river, um, which is why we directed a lot of our earlier research into the Bowen Darling, because you could just see how bad it is. It's hard not to overstate how challenging water sharing and management in the Murray-Darling Basin is. 
There are six state and federal governments, all with different responsibilities and accountabilities. There's conflict and competition for sharing water between irrigators, downstream users, Indigenous communities, townships, floodplain graziers, and of course, the environment. Ebony Bennett describes it as a classic wicked problem. The Basin Plan is really a complex set of programs and it's implemented over quite a long time, 12 years, and it's underpinned by ecological science and hydrological modelling, which in itself is known as a black art because there's hardly any transparency about the models to many people in the water industry, let alone the public. Actually, (laughs) hydrological modelling is quite similar to economic modelling in that way. Um, And so because it's so complex, there's a lot of opportunities for things to go wrong and things have gone wrong. The problem is it's too easy for bureaucrats and governments to simply blame the failings of water management on the drought. This is an emergency measure because we are in an emergency situation. The thing about a drought is it keeps going on. This is a historic low event or historic drought event. Melinda And this drought is escalating. Our response... Politicians blame the drought. But is that just a cop-out? The real test of um, the water reform is a drought. Because when there's a lot of water around, sharing the water is not difficult. The drought is absolutely the test. The basic plan was born out of a drought. Um, it's just ridiculous to think that we can spend $13 billion on a water reform and not have it be able to survive through a drought. And here we are at our first drought and we're losing you know, whole industries that have been here for four or five generations in, in the first couple of years of the drought, like dairy and rice. You know, dairy will be lucky to, to last through this drought. Things were so bad that at the beginning of 2018, the South Australian government established a royal commission to investigate the operations and effectiveness of the Murray-Darling Basin system. And the final report by the South Australian Commissioner, Brett Walker SC, was damning. A royal commission has thrown the book at the body responsible for governing the river system. Maladministration, unlawful behaviour, secrecy... In a nutshell, this Royal Commission gives the Murray-Darling Basin Authority a hiding. Questionable whether the Murray-Darling Basin Authority is capable or willing of fulfilling its statutory obligation. To be unwilling or incapable of acting lawfully. In he found the Commonwealth officials had committed gross maladministration, negligence and wrongdoing. That the Basin Plan numbers no longer represent actual water that the plan is no longer based on the best science and that millions of dollars in taxpayers' money is being spent with no oversight. The key issue is how much water the plan should return to the environment. The Royal Commission ruled that this was not a scientific determination, but rather one made by senior management and the authorities' board, an unlawful approach that amounts to maladministration. Marianne Slattery appeared before the Royal Commission, giving evidence as an expert witness. The Australia Institute's research was cited 18 times in the final report, and Marianne was personally cited 16 times. The Royal Commission called for a complete overhaul of the plan. However, the chair of the Murray-Darling Basin Authority, Philip Glyde, rejected the findings. Because in my experience, there's certainly been no maladministration Uh, no uh, illegal behaviour whatsoever. We've implemented the Water Act and the Basin Plan to the best of our abilities. One of the problems with the Murray-Darling Basin Plan is that it's been very difficult for the public to get access to the information. 
Murray-Darling Basin. Let's listen. Down in South Australia, uh, I'm accompanied by Marianne Slattery. And this is one of the issues that the Australia Institute's Rod Campbell brought up during a press conference when the South Australian Royal Commission handed down its final report. Among these recommendations, there's a call for real transparency in the way we manage the Murray-Darling Basin. The Royal Commission has described an unfathomable culture of secrecy. Even the powers of the state-based Royal Commission failed to compel the federal government to cooperate or allow its bureaucrats to participate in the public inquiry, something South Australian Green Senator Sarah Hansen-Young is very familiar with. The truth is Marianne's knowledge and the information that she not just holds as a, as a learned expert in this field, but the ability to dissect uh, new information because she has those skills and that understanding, that corporate knowledge, these issues never would have been exposed. Uh, we never would have seen the Royal Commission evidence coming out in, in South Australia, for example. Um, a lot of the issues even dealt with by the Productivity Commission wouldn't have seen a um, cop on the beat in the way we've seen now Mick Kelty put on by the government as a response if indeed Marianne wasn't, wasn't there and wasn't supported to be able to put forward what she knew. And it's, it's not just being able to give the information that she knew at the time while she was there. It's actually about understanding how the organisation works, how, uh, what the different programs means, um, how to actually dissect what it is that is going on now, not just uh, in the past. Another report that Marianne wrote, which made a big splash, involved two government ministers and the lucrative sale of water by a company based in the tax haven of the Cayman Islands. In 2017, the government paid $80 million to a company called Eastern Australia Agriculture for rights to almost 29 gigalitres Which was of slightly water. overshadowed at the time by this scandal. This week, most of our attention has been focused on Barnaby Joyce. I would like to say uh, to Natalie how deeply sorry I am. Ministers must not engage in sexual relations with their staff. Over his affair with a staffer who is now carrying his baby. Yes, I believe we have The real money. scandal was the sale of water that made a company with ownership based in the Cayman Islands a $52 million profit. Back in March 2018, the Australia Institute released the report... That's not how you haggle. And now it's been revealed that the government paid well above the price the company was asking just a year ago. The licences were overvalued and unlikely to have significant environmental benefits. The report explained how the Federal Agriculture Minister at the time, Barnaby Joyce, signed off on the purchase of 29 gigalitres of water in southern Queensland, costing taxpayers $80 million. As Marianne Slattery explained in the report, and then later on the TV show The Project, the price was simply too much. How much should they have paid? Well, nothing, because you can't use the water. <laughs> we paid $80 million of taxpayers' money, and we should have paid nothing. Well, you can't use the water outside the property. The sale of water was highly irregular for several reasons, but the two most important were that, one, the price was significantly overinflated, and two, the water being sold wasn't normal irrigation water out of a river, but what's called overland flows. Overland flows only legally exist at the farm where it's purchased, so the Commonwealth no longer owns the water should it ever leave the property. 
You know, as flood water might do if it's not stored in a dam or it simply flows back into the river. Once that water's in the river, the Commonwealth can't count it towards environmental flows. And a farmer downstream can use that water for irrigation. A huge amount of money being paid for water that um, was done without due process, that didn't go through a tender process, and that will not return one drop of water back to the environment. Anne Davies from The Guardian kept digging into that story and found a link between the company Eastern Australia Agriculture, or EAA, and the Federal Energy Minister, Angus Taylor. He helped set up the company with an old Oxford University mate. But Angus Taylor divested any interests from EAA before he entered Parliament in 2013. There's no basis, in fact, on some of the claims that have been made. Um, and I've no further... A company co-founded by Energy Minister Angus Taylor and linked to the Cayman Islands sold two Queensland water licences to the company. Domiciled in a well-known tax haven. Was it to avoid the company's tax liabilities in Australia? Well, my role uh, in that company wasn't on the structuring side. I wasn't an investment banker. It was on the agricultural side. But remember, the roots of this story began a year earlier in one of the reports that Marianne wrote at the Australia Institute, although that report doesn't allege any wrongdoing on Angus Taylor's part. Well, the Australia Institute have been pursuing this for a long time before the rest of us even knew about it. Rod Campbell is from the Canberra-based think tank. He's co-authored a number of reports on the Murray-Darling Basin. Rod, good morning to you. point of the Murray-Darling Basin... And some of that information in that report was uncovered by Centre Alliance Senator Rex Patrick, who used Senate estimates to ask for documents on the sale of that water. Well, as a, um, a former submariner who is not an expert in the in the river. I actually rely on people like Mary Ann and indeed many others who come to me. You know, if someone comes to me and talks to me about a problem, uh, I then make a speech, I then uh, ask a question in the Senate, ask a question at Senate Estimates, provided there's a connection. The point of parliamentary privilege is that it allows people to raise issues with their member and for their member to then be able to walk into the chamber and not be constrained in anything that they want to uh, agitate or ask questions on. Both South Australian Senators, Rex Patrick and Green Senator Sarah Hanson-Young, have called for a Royal Commission into that $80 million water sale and the entire Murray-Darling Basin plan. And that brings us back to the fish kill. Coming up today, the ecological disaster at Menindee. It's a warning sign for the whole basin. It should be just alarm bells ringing right across the whole basin that uh, it's in serious strife. Fast forward to the start of 2019 and the basin is in one of the worst droughts on record and millions of fish have died in the river system. My name is Dick Arnold. I'm here with Rob McBride for this really sad bloody shot here caused by the government environmental disaster. This video of fourth generation farmer Rob McBride and Menindee resident Dick Arnold went viral and global. The footage shows the two men knee-deep in the Lower Darling River, cradling a huge rotting Murray cod carcass, gagging on the smell, while dead fish float in the river around them. This fish is 100 years old. It's never coming back. This is bloody disgraceful. Robert McBride from Tolano Station. We run about 500,000 acres in the Western Division of New South Wales, uh, one of the largest private landholders in New South Wales, husband and wife. We're on about 60 kilometres of the Darling River, where it used to be, and uh, we're very fervently behind the fight for the Darling River system. 
At every opportunity, Rob McBride reminds people that the fish kills that he's seen and smelt up close are not because of the drought. He blames mismanagement by the Murray-Darling Basin Authority and irrigators further upstream for taking too much water out of the river. This is the worst man-made environmental disaster in Australian history. These people were set up to protect the integrity of the Murray-Darling Basin plan and they've done everything to undermine the plan at every turn. The metre-long rotting Murray cod that Rob McBride held in that viral video can live up to 70 years old. So they've survived plenty of droughts before. This event is different. People say drought, drought, drought. The destruction of the riverways has nothing to do with drought. It's over allocation and changing of the laws to suit a select few. They had DataCube, which was a satellite system that showed all water thefts taking place, all dams being taken, put in, everything. They've had an eye in the sky for the whole five years and they've done nothing. Nearly every river in the state will be affected by mass fish kills. Uh, confirmation Work now this afternoon of a, another very large fish kill. By hot Christmas, the recipe for what government has labelled a potential fish Armageddon. Fish don't do so well without, without water. This is not business as usual. We've had drought before in our nation, but we're seeing fish dying on an unprecedented scale. Again, Marianne's research showed that the fish kill at Menindee Lakes could be pointed to bad decision-making. She'd found that the Murray-Darling Basin Authority, most likely acting under the direction of state governments, decided to drain the Menindee Lakes in 2016 and 17 and send the water downstream. Even though downstream regions didn't need the water because South Australia was experiencing flooding at the time and all irrigation needs were being met. These releases were also outside the Murray-Darling Basin Authority's own operating rules. Marianne's investigations also highlighted that the Menindee Lakes weren't being replenished by smaller regular flows because too much water is being taken out upstream. Every time you put out a report or you could go on TV or something, the government you know, says is not, you're wrong, without saying why. You'll get a bunch of irrigators that, that are benefiting from the $13 billion and that are very um, resistant to whatever criticism or whatever report we've put out. Um, but pretty much without fail, I will get one, two, three, four people, random people contact me from the basin that will say, look, I'm a floodplain grazier from here. This has been affecting me. Thank you for your report. And it puts it in context. We knew something was happening, but we didn't know what. You know, reality is, I mean, this reform has just ruined so many lives. But at least those people know that we're talking out about it and explaining what's happening. And when you put it all together, you start to get quite a comprehensive body of work that's explaining what has gone wrong. Um, and so I'm proud of that. I'm a Barker, Wimbledon, Barker, Wilkenia. Hello, I'm a Darling River black person from the bark of the Darling River at Wilcannia. Today we stand on the Darling River, the Barker. Badger Bates is a Barkindji elder from Wilcannia, which is about 200 kilometres east of Broken Hill in New South Wales, and on the banks of the Darling River, which the Barkindji called the Barker. I spoke to him over the phone. They say there's a drought on. We know there's a drought on and we live in it. 
you know, if you walk out your door and you get to a sandy place and you just get your hand and you scrape along, you just stick and scrape along, put a mark and have a little bit of depression in it. Yep. That's what the river looks like. Nothing. It's a little trench in the ground. And again, Aboriginal people, our elders are dying. The young people are committing suicide. There's drugs all over the place. And it's not just Aboriginal people. It's the white people what live on the river. The Barkindjia people of the river and the well-being of the community directly depends on the health of the river. Badger Bates has known for a long time that something is dangerously wrong with his river, and Marianne's research has confirmed his worst fears. We got native title rights in 2015, so what's a good native title rights without water? They may as well take the native title off us. Then what they do, they get about $30 million and they flash around everywhere and say, Oh yes, well there's water here, oh, there's money now where the Aboriginal people can buy the water. We're not buying no water, it's money for the big irrigators again, and they're going to get rich and we're still going to get no water. Why should us Barker, Barker Wimbiches, just mean Darling River black people, buy water when we didn't sell the water to them? they got to stop telling us there's a drought on and promise us some water and don't try and bribe us with money. Badger Bates and Rob McBride blame big irrigators further upstream for draining their mighty river until it's dry. But even some of the irrigators are angry. Hi, my name is Chris Brooks. I'm a farmer from Baruga and I'm chairman of Southern Riverina Irrigators. Chris Brooks is an irrigator in the Southern Riverina in New South Wales and he admits that on the surface Marianne Slattery and he aren't natural allies. I was in Canberra in the cafeteria at Parliament House with some other people, meeting some other people and when Mary Ann turned up with, uh, with Roderick Campbell. Chris Brooks was up in Canberra one time and asked to meet with us and that was, um, we were quite wary, like, who are these you know, with irrigators that want to come and you know, talk to us. Um, Chris had obviously become aware of our work and could see that we were really concerned about people and we weren't just greenies that were there throwing rocks at irrigators. We were actually, a theme through our work is the inequality that this reform has brought and the impact that that's having on people on the ground. I'd like to think that our relationship has been based on absolute blatant truths and, and facts and uh, and that's where we respect one another. Um, I, I, I debated strongly that we were not the enemy, that, that uh, the management of the water, whilst it was ruining our economies and communities and you know, financial destruction of, of, of the local farmers, um, despite the fact that it was being taken under the guise of, of environmental flows, it was actually doing more damage to the environment than, uh, than, than pre-basin plan days. And I, and I listed off half a dozen examples and, and she, uh, she came around to uh, just further discussion and, 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 and morphed into a lot more investigation and a lot more reports. And I think now we're both middle ground. We found our middle ground anyway. In the 12 years that Marianne Slattery was working at the Murray-Darling Basin Authority, she was rarely allowed to visit and meet the regional communities living in the basin. But since arriving at the Australia Institute, she's been on several trips to most of the basin, even going on her holidays to visit regional communities along the river system. Along the way, she's gained what's been described as a 
cult following because she's representing those of us who have been downtrodden and forgotten and voiceless and powerless. Hello, my name's Jane McAllister. I'm a councillor with Wentworth Shire Council, uh, which is at the south, far southwest corner of New South Wales, just over the river from Mildura. Jane McAllister says Marianne Slattery is like a foreign language interpreter who can digest the bureaucraties and read the hydrological models of the Murray-Darling Basin Authority and put them into plain English for the river communities. Marianne's knowledge, understanding and ability to explain complex concepts and particularly help guide questions around specifically modelling um, and hydrology has been invaluable, completely invaluable. So she knows the people, she knows the terrain, she understands. And when we start losing our faith and getting a little bit of despair, um, she's really great at sort of helping to prop us up and, and dust us off and throw us back into the fray. But it's not just local government politicians that have Marianne on speed dial. State and federal politicians also seek out Marianne's expert advice on issues to do with the Murray-Darling Basin. It's Chris Minns. I'm the member for COGRA. I'm the Shadow Minister for Transport and Correction. Chris Minns's previous portfolio was the New South Wales Shadow Water Minister. I was pretty at sea, to use a poor metaphor for water, um, and not really understanding the issue and how um, how complicated it was. And I thought, well, she seems like she's got credentials in the area um, and knows what she's talking about. So maybe she'll spend some time letting me ask stupid questions. So I rang her and said, can I come down to Canberra and see you? And she said, yep, great. And we met and had lunch and, and I just picked her brain for um, a couple of hours about policy questions, the problem with the waterway and her time at the MDBA. Chris, hope this doesn't come across as rude. Can you talk me through that? Don't you have staff to do research for you and, you know, those sort of questions that you're asking of Marianne, why didn't you just get someone else to do that research for you? No, we're on our own. We are absolutely on our own Um, in opposition. We've got two staff to handle electorate issues so like there's 80,000 people that live in the Cedar Cogra and they need representation on everything from parking fines to public housing so with our portfolio responsibilities there's just us Um, so you really have to beg borrow and steal to get information about what is going on. He's from the state that's the biggest user of irrigated water in the Murray-Darling Basin but it's also home to some of the biggest environmental concerns. Remember those fish kills at Menindee Lakes happened in New South Wales. There's a lot of experts in water and there's not... Most of them have got an agenda, to be perfectly honest, Um, whether they're supporting corporate interests or particular irrigators or they're protecting the governments behind. Um, It's very hard to find impartial experts who really are just interested in good public policy. And, you know, that's what, that's what Mary Ann was. She, was. she just looked like she was on the side of the public. So I thought, well, that's a great place to start. Farmers on the McIntyre River in Queensland say the $13 billion national plan to save the Murray... If affected communities and politicians struggle to obtain information from the public bureaucracy, 
How do journalists get access to that information? Lateline's Kerry Brewster reports with this exclusive story. Yeah, hello. My name's Kerry Brewster. I'm a freelance journalist and filmmaker. A former reporter for ABC's Lateline, Kerry Brewster most recently produced a story for 60 Minutes about how water is managed in the Murray-Darling River system. For Australian farmers battling one of the worst... The foundation of the 60 Minutes story was a recent report written by Marianne uh, for the Australia Institute called Southern Discomfort. Now, this, this report had been out. Um, it hadn't been challenged by the Murray-Darling Basin Authority and it became the foundational report for the 60 Minutes story that I was producing. So in the course of producing that report, I put some questions to the authority, simple questions, there were about eight of them, um, and I indicated that the authority could reply with a yes or a no, or and um, I waited several days and I received back about five pages of, very dense, of a very dense statement that the MDBA said uh, was information that covered off every single question. So what was required of me was to go through the statement and find somehow the answer to the to a question that had been on my list and when i um, got back to the authority and asked again whether they could please just simply answer the questions in writing um, they refused that's the kind of organization that you're dealing with when you're trying to investigate how water is being managed in australia so Marianne's experience in the authority makes her an extremely valuable source and she's a key figure now in the ongoing revelations and understanding of how water is being mismanaged in Australia. I don't think there's anyone, really anyone else, who understands it and is in a position to help journalists understand it. What are we going to call this next report, Marianne? We, what, oh, what is our next report? The list. It, it doesn't add up. It doesn't add up. The water, the the, um, the list doesn't add up with the claims of how much they've taken, how much they've recovered, right? Yes, that's, that's right, yeah. The Australia Institute's Rod Campbell yeah, says one of the most important parts about the reports is the title. Yeah, I think we can probably do better than that. <laughs> that's what Rod always says about my titles. <laughs> but on a more serious note, these reports have caused ripples through government and have given regional communities the tools and information they need to challenge the bureaucracy. I, I think we've played a central role in... Um, making the Murray-Darling Basin and its mismanagement a top-tier political issue in Australia that's discussed by the Prime Minister, the opposition leader, ministers and the man in the street or the woman in the street. But it's been Marianne's work that has stopped powerful people being able to just say, oh, it's just the drought, all we can do is pray. Um, no, it's been mismanagement that has got us in this mess um, and it's been having Marianne able to interpret and cut through the bureaucraties that gets put out that I think has you know, been a really significant part in making it a top-tier political issue in Australia. And it's quite amusing, I think, because when we first started releasing reports, I would hear that the Murray-Darling Basin Authority were going to lockdown you know, they'd test, there'd be emails going around reminding everyone of their duties as a public servant, not to give anything to people like the Australia Institute. There were, um, you know, audits on phone calls, on um, print records, on emails, etc. Um, and none of it was leaked. <laughs> it was just us 
knowing um, what to look for and, and where to find it. In the two years since leaving the bureaucracy, Marianne's research at the Australia Institute has affected more change than she could have achieved by working within the authority. It's her insider knowledge that has allowed her to connect the dots. And that's just one whistleblower. Imagine the effect that 10 whistleblowers could have with the proper support. And it's an unlikely coalition of farmers, Indigenous groups, greenies, irrigators, journalists and politicians that are now members of the Marianne Slattery fan club. Marianne's a rock star to us. She, she was really a gift from the gods when she came out and met with us that day. And, and yes, yeah, she represented to us in that moment a ray of hope that somebody in the Canberra bubble understands. I just wanted to know that there's uh, at least three or 4,000 farmers... Uh, that I know that dearly love her and she needs to know that. And I knew that she was a true Australian. She was there for you to try and protect the environment, the river, for future generations. And for that, I will stand by Marianne Slattery any time. I can't speak highly enough. Without Marianne Slattery, the theft and maladministration undertaken by the Murray-Darling Basin Authority would continue on and nothing would have been done. We are now getting to the stage where the average man in the street is saying something's horribly wrong. So that's why she's such, uh, such a precious resource and a bit of a treasure, really. I think, um, I think Australians will thank Marianne Slattery for all the work, hard work she's been doing and for the work that she, she will continue to do, hopefully. During that process, we've actually also built up a really good network of people across the basin that are understanding the issues as we write reports and getting to know each other. And I think, for me, that's the real measure of success. Next, in our final episode of How to Make a Whistleblower, how did Marianne arrive at the Australia Institute? And how much support do people like Marianne need so that all their institutional knowledge doesn't flow down the drain. Yeah, I mean, when Marianne arrived, she spoke flawless and endless bureaucraties and really working out how to help her communicate. Uh, you know, that, that took a while and, and it still takes a while. It still takes us uh, a few cuts to get a good report out that you know, hits the media ground running. Don't miss it. Subscribe now and listen free on your favourite podcast app. This episode was written and produced by me, Jennifer Macy. Additional production by Lizzie Jack. Editing by Ebony Bennett and fact-checking by Marianne Slattery. The executive producer is Anna Chang at the Australia Institute. For more information on this podcast and to read all of the Australia Institute's research on the Murray-Darling Basin, go to our website, tai.org.au Thanks for listening.